G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Call me crazy, but I believe that you and I were created to live extraordinary lives. Jesus said it. He came that we may have life in all its abundance. But one of the things that robs us of that sort of life is negative emotions. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're continuing with the next message in this series called The Art of Living, opening up God's Word to discover His way of dealing with those negative emotions. With all my heart, I believe that you and I are created to live an extraordinary life. But one of the things that robs many people of that sort of life is negative emotions. And today on the program, we're going to chat about three of the most common ones. Anger, the desire for revenge, and fear. So, let's kick things off. Let me ask you, how much is your anger robbing you of your extraordinary life? Well, anger is something different to annoyance. We can be annoyed by little things, and some people, sadly, spend a lot of their lives in a state of annoyance. It's something you may have heard me talk about recently on this program. But anger is a much bigger thing. Let's imagine for a moment that someone says something nasty about you, or someone consistently fails to meet your expectations of honesty and loyalty, or someone speaks lies about you behind your back. There's every chance that those things are going to make you angry, right? When is the last time that you were angry? Maybe you're angry right now, or it happened earlier today, or just yesterday. With the way this world is, it's probably not that long ago. Can you remember how you felt? It comes on quite quickly, doesn't it? It kind of rises up within you. Sometimes we want to shout or or hit out. Sometimes we just want to glare the person down. Above all things, we want recompense, an apology, and sometimes even revenge. Anger is a complicated emotion. And so often when we experience anger, we make stupid decisions. We say something or we do something that destroys a relationship or hurts someone, sometimes ourselves and sometimes other people. Okay, back to the last time that you were angry. Can you still remember it? Now, here's my question. How long were you angry at that particular person? Was it a minute or two before you calmed down? Five or ten minutes, perhaps? A half an hour or an hour or all day? Overnight, perhaps? A week? Two weeks? Are you still angry with that person? I know people who have been angry with each other for years and literally haven't spoken to each other for all that time because somehow they couldn't let go of anger. The fullest and most horrific conclusion to unbridled anger is, of course, murder. And murder, Jesus said, begins in our hearts. Anger is something that happens deep down in our hearts, and unless we learn how to control it, we can end up doing some terribly destructive things in life. There are many people whose marriages, whose families, whose careers are lying on a scrap heap right now because they didn't learn to control anger. I'm sure you probably know one or two people just like that. 
So there are two aspects of anger that we're going to chat about briefly today. How quickly it happens and how long it takes to get over it. First of all, how quickly? Remember earlier I said that anger can rise up very quickly indeed, especially if that person has already made us angry before. Especially if that person's perhaps hurt us in some way or dishonoured us in the past. I want to encourage you today to be someone who is slow to anger. This God I mentioned earlier, the one who sent Jesus, his son, to die to pay for my sins and yours, well, his word, the Bible, says this about God's anger. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. God gets angry, but he's slow to anger because he's abounding in steadfast love. Love is the key. Caring deeply for other people is the key. If we can become servant-hearted, then we can show grace and mercy. I happen to believe that there is a God and that you and I are created by him in his image. And so it makes absolute sense that we should be like him, prepared to show mercy. Can I ask you, when you do something stupid, something that with the wisdom of hindsight you knew was wrong, and we all do that, don't we? Would you like others to cut you some slack? to show you some mercy, to be gracious, to forgive you. Of course you would, me too. And that's how we should be, slow to anger and full of mercy and grace. When that's how we live our lives, we become angry far less often. We accept the limitations that other people have. We even compensate for them instead of getting angry with them. And the second part of anger that I'd like to chat about right now is how long we stay angry, because that's a huge issue. The quicker we get over it, the quicker we forgive, the quicker we move on, the less destructive our anger is going to be. So, how does God handle it? Well, let's have a look at the very next verse in that same psalm in the Old Testament and what it says about God's anger. Psalm 103, verses 9 and 10. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. In other words, God gets over his anger instead of hanging on to it, and he doesn't pay us back quickly. So, how do we minimize the damage that anger can cause? Here it is again. Be slow to get angry, and when we do, forgive quickly. Not bad, hey? And what is it that allows God to behave that way? Again, it comes back to this one simple thing, the next few verses in that psalm, Psalm 103, verses 11 to 17. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows how we're made. He remembers that we're just dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone, and its place is known no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And that one simple thing, he's steadfast love, his rock-solid love, a love that goes on and on and on. Let me ask you, is that a love that you have experienced? If it is, imagine asking God to give you the power to show that same kind of love to those around you, the sort of love that a good father has for his children. And if it isn't a love that you've ever experienced, I want to encourage you today to go to God and ask him to show you that love. Just a quick, simple prayer. God, I heard about you today. I heard about your love today. 
and I want some. Will you please pour that love out on me in Jesus' name? Every hurt, every pain, every argument, every flash of anger, every desire for revenge, every dark and evil thing that wants to grow in our hearts and inflict itself on those around us, the only way to defeat those things is with the steadfast love of the Lord our God. And when we experience that love poured out on our lives, when we live in that love, when we have our being in that love, it's the power of his love that curbs our anger. When we've experienced the mercy of God, it becomes so much easier to show mercy. When we lay hold of the powerful thing that happened on that cross 2,000 years ago, when Jesus bore anger and punishment that you and I deserved, it is so much easier for us to suffer in order to forgive. And it hurts sometimes to forgive. Be slow to anger and quick to forgive, just like God. And my friend, the only place I've discovered the power to do that is in Jesus Christ, nowhere else. I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. The Word of God is alive and active, amen, with the power to transform your life, to help you be all that God made you to be. And that's what the Fresh Daily Devotional is all about. It's completely free, and I'd love to send it to you. Each day, you'll receive a life-changing scripture, together with some words of inspiration, hope, and encouragement from me, delivered right to your inbox, where you can choose to read, listen, or even watch the daily video. It's completely up to you. Remember, God's Word is the power to change. It's fresh for you each day. You can subscribe to receive your free daily devotional at freshdevotional.org or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415 to request the printed Fresh Devotional, if that works better for you. Again, that's freshdevotional.org or 1-300-722-415. My prayer is that your heart will be touched and transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus through the power of His Word. And there is such an incredible power in the Word of God, is there not? So let's dive straight back in to see what else He has for us today. We each have some people in our lives who have hurt us deeply. Sometimes they do something really, really bad, like abusing you when you're a child, or a wife or husband cheating on their spouse, or or a business partner swindling you out of money. Other times, it's not that there's any particular big or bad thing that they've done. It's funny how the little things can really hurt as well. One of my greatest memories of growing up as a child is that I was never really one of the in kids. I was always different somehow. All the other boys were good at sport and running and jumping and and football and cricket. I wasn't. Instead, I came from a musical family. I was almost always at the top of my class. I was a keen learner, but I couldn't play sport for nuts. And in a sports-mad nation like Australia, well, as a kid growing up, that was a big deal. So the other kids would poke fun at me or pick on me. That affected my own view of myself. It affected what they call my self-esteem. And it only got much worse when, after finishing school, I joined the military, and that whole negativity was reinforced. So they don't have to be big things. I remember wanting to take revenge on the kids who made fun of me and and picked on me. I'd plot sinister things in my mind. Whenever I hear about one of those high school massacres, it brings back those dark and difficult days, and I can still remember quite vividly my feelings of revenge. Of course, I never seriously contemplated anything like a massacre, 
but I have some small understanding of, of how the pressures of the other kids can cause someone to snap like that. It's a terrible thing. Many people spend much of their time thinking about revenge. Wars are about revenge. It doesn't restore things. It doesn't make things better. Revenge may appear logical, but it's the worst thing we can do. The opposite of revenge is forgiveness. The opposite of revenge is reconciliation. One of the great marvels of the ending of apartheid in South Africa was the leadership of Nelson Mandela, who, having spent, I think it was, 27 years in prison, took on the presidency of that nation with a heart to see healing rather than revenge. Jesus had this to say about revenge. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say, don't resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other one also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give them your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go the second mile as well. Give to everyone who begs from you, and don't refuse anyone who wants to borrow money from you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. See, my first reaction to that when I first read it was that this was about being a weakling. What, I should just roll over? I should just be a, a doormat for people to walk over and wipe their feet on? But as the years have passed, it's more and more struck me that turning the other cheek is a huge act of courage. It takes a lot of strength not to lash out in revenge. It takes a huge amount of courage to refuse to take revenge. When someone offends you and you just want to say something harsh back to them, holding your tongue, staying silent is really hard, isn't it? Letting injustice pass and simply forgiving it without having your say, without getting restitution, without at least taking a swipe back is so difficult. And yet, as we see in Mandela's case, as we see in Gandhi's case in, in recent history, there is a greatness about choosing to break the cycle of revenge. There is a greatness about reconciliation. There is a greatness about being the person that says, no, I will not take revenge. It takes courage. It takes character. It takes the ability to forgive. And that right there is maturity and greatness. I wonder how different this world would be if you and I learned to be people who turned the other cheek, how much less conflict there'd be. It seems to me that turning the other cheek, well, it's going to cost us something in the short term, but it's the one thing that'll break the cycle of abuse and revenge. When we refuse to strike back, it takes the wind out of your assailant's sails. It turns opinion of those around you against the person who's doing wrong. It brings goodness into a difficult situation. We're never going to overcome evil with evil, are we? The only way to overcome evil is with good, because evil begets evil. Let me encourage you, the next time you want to take revenge, try something different. Turn the other cheek. You might just be surprised at the result. You know, words are cheap. It's easy for Jesus to say these things, but it's another thing entirely to live them out. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't just say this thing about turning the other cheek. He lived it. On that night that he was betrayed by one of his own to be crucified, they came to arrest him in one of his favourite places, the Garden of Gethsemane. And Peter, one of his disciples, decided to draw his sword and cut off the ear of one of the assailants. Luke chapter 22, verse 51. But Jesus said, no, no more of this. And he touched the ear of the man who'd been struck and healed him. And having done that, Jesus allowed them to arrest him, to, to falsely accuse him, to beat him, to humiliate him, to nail him to a cross. I mean, he took this turning the other cheek thing to such an extreme that it cost him his life, his everything. 
And whilst at the same time it appeared to be the greatest defeat in all of history, the Son of God nailed to the cross, it turned out to be the greatest victory of all. Revenge never wins, but turning the other cheek does. Forgiving does. Love always defeats evil and good always defeats evil. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote many years later. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Now, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you'll be heaping burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. So, are you challenged by that? Yeah, well, me too. No, it's not always easy. It's counterintuitive. But then in a world full of evil, goodness and righteousness so often are. I just want to encourage you today through the simple and powerful example of Jesus himself to have the courage to be different, the courage to turn the other cheek. I've taken revenge in the past and it's something I've always regretted. But turning the other cheek, even though it hurts at the time, is something that I have never regretted doing, ever. I'm Bernie Diamond and you're listening to Christianity Works. Life can be hard work some days. And as that daily grind just kind of grinds away at us, it's easy to forget that Jesus died and rose again to give us victory. That's why I'd love to send you a short text message of encouragement straight to your phone, just as the Spirit leads, perhaps even when you least expect it. That's what Victory SMS is all about. Roughly every other week, I ask the Lord what word of encouragement could I give to you today? So if you'd like the occasional bit of encouragement to help you live your life in victory, then head across to victorysms.org and when you do subscribe, you'll immediately receive a free copy of my ebook, Power Unlimited. Thousands of people already have. And the most common response? Oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. How did you know that? Thank you so much. It's simply amazing how powerfully the Spirit of God can move through just a short text message. And I'd love to encourage you too to live your life in victory. Again, that web address is victorysms.org. Okay, let's head straight back into the Word of God. When was the last time that you were afraid? I'm not just talking about being a little bit nervous. I'm not just talking about being a bit anxious about something. I'm talking serious fear. The sort of gut-wrenching, debilitating fear that we all go through from time to time. When was the last time you felt that cold blade of fear pierce your heart? I have no doubt whatsoever that you know exactly what I'm talking about. We've all been there in that place. And I have no doubt that you can remember the last time of great fear in your life as though it was yesterday. The sort of fear that grips every cell of your body. Perhaps it was during a time when one of your children was gravely ill. Perhaps you travelled through divorce, as many people do, and you know the fear and the uncertainty about the future. The terrible thing about fear, aside from how it makes you feel, is that it's a totally debilitating emotion. It does one of two things. 
either it causes us to lash out and do stupid things, things that aren't in our best interest, things that are only going to make our situation worse instead of better. Or the other thing that fear does is that it makes us freeze. It's as though we're totally immobilised, incapable of thinking straight, incapable of taking any actions that are going to make things better and keep us safe. A bit like that rabbit on the road at night, caught in the headlights of an oncoming car. It freezes, and unless it moves quickly, it's going to get run over. Over the last little while on the program, we've been talking about how to live an extraordinary life in this series of messages that I've called The Art of Living. See, my theory is this. We only have one crack at this life here on Earth. We can either waste that life completely, or we can live a mediocre life that never amounts to much, that never impacts other people's lives, and that's what most people seem to do, or we can live an extraordinary life. And part of living that extraordinary life is knowing how to get through fear, how to deal with fear and cope with fear, because it doesn't matter who you are, what your position or status is in life, you and I are going to experience fear at some point. Now, I'm a very strong person emotionally. It's just the way I'm wired. My personality type has some downsides, but one of my upsides is my strength. But still, there are times when I'm afraid. And the only place where I've been able to deal effectively with that fear, the only place where I've been able to discover the peace of God in the middle of the storm, is in God himself. Have a listen to what God has to say about fear to you and to me today. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. This God who sent Jesus, his son, to suffer and die for you and for me is a God who loves us, a God who doesn't want us to be afraid. And the truly awesome thing about that is that we only really discover the power of his love and his faithfulness towards us when we are afraid. I have no idea where you're at in your life. It may be that you simply don't believe in this God. Okay, that's completely your decision. I'm not here to ram anything down anyone's throat. But what I've discovered in my experience is that it doesn't matter how fearful I am. It doesn't matter how overwhelming my circumstances are. This same God of whom I speak is prepared to step into our space, to walk with us, to be with us, to protect us, to provide for us. I don't care what it is. A tsunami, an earthquake, God is right there in the middle of that with us. Psalm 46, beginning at verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains should shake and fall into the heart of the ocean, though the water should roar and foam, though the mountains will tremble with this tumult. And it doesn't matter which way you look at it, but what angle you come at that from, hey, that is great news, that is fantastic news, and the only way to discover whether it's true or not is to try it the next time you're afraid, to pray, to commit your situation into his hands, and to wait on him to see what he is going to do. There is no other way to find out if it's true. Someone asked me recently, but Bernie, is it the right thing for me to do, in a sense, to, to just assume that God wants to help me, to rely on God in this way? Isn't it wrong just to expect God to show up when I'm afraid? Maybe he wants me to be afraid. Maybe he's too busy. Maybe, I don't know, am I being presumptuous? Yeah, I guess I can see where that person was coming from. They don't want to seem presumptuous, so is it right to depend on God in this way? And my answer is, just quietly, absolutely it is. 
That's exactly what God wants you to do. Have a listen to these few scriptures. Let God write them on your heart. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as children by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, so that you may receive mercy and grace right in your time of need. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. So we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And my friend, that's just a handful of the scriptures. That's just a smattering of the many, many passages in God's word where he tells us that he doesn't want us to wimp about fear. He wants us to boldly and confidently rely on him. He wants us, listen to that again, he wants us to boldly and confidently rely on him. My friend, when you are afraid, I encourage you to turn to Jesus, to cast all your fears and your cares on him, and to trust in him, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Christianity Works program is sharing the powerful, practical Word of God with so many people in over 160 countries around the world. But that's only made possible through the generous support of friends just like you. Each dollar that you give today will grow to reach nearly 3,000 people with a gospel message. Incredible! That means that a gift today of just $35 can touch over 100,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you to give a generous tax-deductible gift of support to Christianity Works today. Securely online at ChristianityWorks.com or by calling 1-300-722-415. And when you do get in touch, two things. Firstly, don't forget to request your free copy of that life application booklet that I've been telling you about. It's only available for a limited time, so don't miss out. Secondly, we would love to pray for you. Absolutely. Just click on the powerful prayer tile at the bottom of the homepage. Again, that's all at ChristianityWorks.com or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Hey, thank you so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond. I'll catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.